Well, good morning and welcome to the worship of God this morning. We are glad that you are joining, joining us online. It is an unfortunate circumstance that makes us uh, go to an online-only service this morning and this evening as well, but uh, thankfully it's only 10 days, and so next Sunday we will be gathering together socially distanced as usual right back here uh, in the sanctuary. I've got a couple of announcements for us this morning. Uh, One is to let you know this evening we will be having our Vesper services. They will be YouTube only, just like this morning is. Uh, Dr. Chris Tibbetts will be preaching that service, so please be in prayer for him as he will be teaching here to an empty congregation. Uh, Also, there will be no Wednesday night service this Wednesday night due to our 10-day quarantine. And then we will not have Wednesday night uh, until January 6th due to the Christmas and uh, and New Year's Eve and New Year's Day um, time, so the holidays. So anyway, there will be no more uh, Wednesday until January the 6th. Uh, again, we will resume services here in person next week. That'll be the 20th. And I believe that is all the announcements I have for us. Uh, and obviously this includes no youth group for this evening. All right. With that being said, uh, if you are here with us or at home, you can stand with me now. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to do a call to worship. It's going to be a responsive call to worship. So please participate with us if you are at home. It will be uh, from Psalm 47, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read the non-bolded portion, and you will respond with the bolded portion. It says this, Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Pray with me. Father, you are a great king over all the earth, and you are a God to be feared, Lord. I'm reminded this morning that you are the king over all creation, God, that there is nothing that has caught you by surprise here today. And so though we worship from the comforts of our own home, God, I pray that you would use this time, that you would use this day, God, to magnify your name, God, that we would know you and make you known all around our city, our county, and our world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us now respond with our hymn of praise. Come, Christians, join to sing.
Amen. If you would remain standing with me this morning, we're going to affirm our faith together from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 27. I will read the question and we will respond together with the answer. The question says this, wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born and that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life the wrath of God, and the cursed death of the cross, and being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. Amen. You may be seated. Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born unto us because of our sins. Christ did what we could not, and so we move into a time of silent confession to admit to fall down on our knees before Christ the King and to admit our sins before him. So let's take the next 30 to 45 seconds to silently confess our sins before God. Amen. Hear this assurance of pardon from God's word. Romans 10, verses 10 through 11 says this. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Amen. As we prepare our hearts uh, for a time of prayer, uh, I have uh, some updates to give you about some things that have happened in the life of the church uh, this week. Um, one is a very sad uh, situation. A um, lady that has been cleaning the church, uh, Miss Olivia, uh, she snuck into the church uh, early Thursday morning, about 6.30 a.m., and stole uh, $300 that was donated towards the Angel Tree Ministry. Uh, so we have dealt with that on Thursday and Friday. Uh, she was terminated uh, by her, her company. We, we, we uh, employ a company to clean the church building. She is one of their employees. Uh, she was terminated immediately. We were able to um, uh, gain possession of, of the keys to the church. Um, we worked out a, a deal with her that we would not press charges if uh, the money could be reimbursed. Uh, so let me say this, if you wrote a check towards uh, the public's gift cards that, uh, are to be, that were purchased uh, for the Angel Tree Ministry, if you wrote a check and you deliver that check either to the church on Thursday or prior to Thursday, if you'll simply give me a call either today or sometime this week, I would greatly appreciate a phone call from you. I um, want you to be aware that the Angel Tree Ministry drive through will, will, will still go on as planned today. None of the presents were stolen. Uh, none of the public's gift cards were stolen. Uh, rather, it was simply uh, some of the money that was donated towards those gift cards that was stolen. So I want you to be aware of, of that fact. Um, can, uh, pray for Olivia uh, and uh, be in prayer for our church. I uh, want to continue to pray for uh, the students uh, in our church that uh, conduct, um, cont contracted COVID last week. Um, I understand that um, some of them are, are feeling a lot better, but now maybe some of their family members are experiencing some symptoms. So we want to continue to be in prayer uh, for them. We have several others in our church that need your prayers. Uh, we are praising God that Bubba Smith is home. Uh, I got word of that yesterday. Uh, we continue to pray for Billy Simpson. He needs his blood levels to, to level out uh, his platelets. Uh, be in prayer for Jim Keller. He goes on Friday uh, for some, um, some radiation. 
And um, let's be in prayer for Patty Alexander. She is home and doing much better. Be in prayer for Gay Ford. She is also home, but, but healing up her wrist and her ribs. Um, continue to be in prayer for Betty Jo Wilson. Betty Jo, if you're out there in uh, online world, I have tried to contact you several times this past week. Uh, but every time I try to call you or Claude, I get sent to your voicemail. But so uh, if, you, if you're not snubbing me in any way, which I trust you're not, if you'll give me a call back, I would greatly appreciate that. But once you know we love you, we are thinking of you. Now, let's be in prayer for our, our Vesper service uh, this evening. Um, we will enjoy uh, 20 minutes of uh, pre-service music prior to the service. So let's, let's be in prayer for that. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we know you're in control. Your word is clear that you're sovereign. But we confess, Father, that, that 2020 has been an odd year at best. It's been frustrating at many times. And it seems like, Lord, things take one step forward and then two steps back in all of our lives. And, Lord, there's no doubt that we felt the pressures of of COVID, we felt financial pressures. Uh, we have seen the, the the ripple effects of an election year and, and how that can cause division and divisive conversations. So Lord, we need your peace. We need your joy. We need reminded of your love, and we need the hope that only Christ can give us this day. Father, we pray for those in our church families, students and families that have been affected by COVID. Lord, I know Martha Post uh, tested positive after Thanksgiving. We pray for them, Lord, that you would heal them and make them well. We pray for others that are at home recovering from other procedures and other sicknesses. We ask for your healing touch upon them as well to make them whole and well. Uh, we pray for those, Father, that are facing procedures this week. We pray that they would be successful. And Lord, we pray for uh, Olivia, Lord, that... She would continue rejoicing today and mercy shown her. But Lord, we pray for uh, signs of true repentance in her heart and her life, Lord, uh, as she goes forward. Uh, we pray for her, her family and her friends and that you would, if she does not have a home church, that you would provide her with a home church that will surround her, encourage her, show her the truth, the Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and what life can be like with Jesus. Lord, we pray for our church. Um, we are excited to celebrate the Christmas season, uh, but Lord, we, we come with heavy hearts. Many of us are separated from family or friends due to distance or due to quarantine or sickness. We pray that you'd help us not to feel lonely, but know that you're with us every step of the way. And Father, we pray for our church as we plan for 2021, that you would uh, help us to plan with wisdom, discretion. And Lord, we pray that soon uh, this pandemic situation would be behind us. I praise you and thank you, Father, for the many men and women that have served faithfully this year. We thank you, Lord, for for families that have come and have led us in singing and our worship service have provided beautiful, special music for us. Lord, many people work uh, uh, just amazingly behind the scenes, such as uh, Janet Heitman and, and Marion Harrison and uh, Melissa Whitmer and, and, and others, Lord, that, that coordinate the music and prepare for playing. I thank you, Lord, for families that have come and have been singing for us. I thank you, Lord, for our deacons and how hard they have worked to, to make sure that the live stream works, particularly this morning, Lord. 
I thank you particularly for, for uh, J.D. Smith, for uh, Chris Whitmer, and for John Perry, and others that have been troubleshooting and troubleshooting and troubleshooting. We thank you, Lord, for, uh, for Mabe, uh, audiovisual that came and helped us, Lord, for two days this week to make sure that our, our live stream was up and running. Lord, I pray that as a result of their faithfulness that this would work well today with no complications or minimal complications. And Lord, I ask that uh, your word would be communicated faithfully and persuasively by the power of your spirit, that those who are here this morning and those that will hear through online and YouTube, that their faith would be fed and nourished. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, it's time to celebrate again, as is our tradition here at Bartow ARP Church, the Advent wreath. The first week, we lit the prophecy candle, and that candle reminds us that uh, Jesus was not a knee-jerk reaction to our sin, that God is a man of his word, and that for thousands and thousands of years, God had foretold the coming and the death of his son to save us from our sins. And then we have the Bethlehem candle, which reminds us that our Savior was to be born in Bethlehem. And it reminds us that King David was also born in Bethlehem, but a new and greater king in Jesus was here. This morning, we light the third candle This morning, our candle is the shepherd's candle, and the shepherd's candle is pink. It's a different color because it's a candle of joy. It reminds us of the, the joy of our, the shepherds when they heard the news from the angels that Jesus was born, and they went to see him in Bethlehem. And it says this, after they saw Jesus in uh, Luke 2 chapter, excuse me, Luke chapter 2 verse 20, says this, and the shepherds returned from seeing Jesus, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And so God tells these very ordinary people and they respond with such great joy. And so this morning we remember that in a dark world there is joy to be had because Jesus has been born. And that joy should for us as Christians exude from us to the world around us because we have the greatest joy of all. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that you chose to reveal and to come down and to condescend. You, you condescended to us and you revealed yourself to shepherds and they responded with great joy. And Lord, I pray this morning as we see this pink candle that represents joy, God, that this morning that we would remember the joy that is to be had at the Christmas season. That although for 400 years during the intertestamental time, God, it seemed like a time of a lack of joy, but when Christ burst on the scene, oh, what joy that we should have And we should sing those praises now through eternity in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you. That was beautiful. Very beautiful. Well, this morning we're going to continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 2. The passage of Scripture should be printed in your bulletin for those of you that have that capability and have access to a bulletin. This morning's passage, uh, I'm sure, is familiar to most of you. Let's read uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 together uh, this morning. Hear God's word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Uh, This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there... The time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, this has been a very distracting week, Lord. It's been filled with distractions in my own life and in the life of the church. So, Father, I ask right now that your Holy Spirit would come and and silence our hearts, silence our minds, and focus our thoughts upon you. Minister to us today, we pray. Lift our eyes towards the horizon of eternity, towards the horizon of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two weeks ago, Mike Tyson fought Roy Jones Jr. in an exhibition fight. I think they raised well over like $80 million or more uh, for that exhibition fight. It drew all kinds of people to watch that fight in pay-per-view. Why? Because we enjoy seeing two heavyweights go at one another. We enjoy seeing two people that are at Uh, been known to be excellent in their field, compete. We like seeing champions win championships. We like seeing great people display their excellence and their greatness before our very eyes. But what we saw in that exhibition fight were two men that used to be great. Uh, Two men that we're no longer in their prime, uh, having a little bit of fun, but really just making money for some people in need. We like to see greatness, don't we? We like to aim for excellence in our lives, and we like to see excellent leaders lead so we can have someone to follow. This year in our nation, we had another presidential election, and we debated and discussed what a true leader looks like. What does a great leader look like? What are the characteristics? What are the qualities? What are the attributes you look for in a great leader? We discuss it in the life of the church as well, don't we? Every year, uh, we have nominations for men that will be elected to the office of elder and deacon. And we discuss that in the life of the church. What does a true leader look like in our church? And then you have the conversations in your workplace, maybe in your neighborhood, even uh, something as simple as who is going to be the president of your homeowners association. You have the discussions, the conversations. What does a great leader look like? 
This passage of Scripture addresses that for us. I know when we look at this passage, what we normally see, we see cute little baby Jesus in the manger, and we picture all of the the manger scenes around our community, maybe even in your neighborhood. You might even have a cute little manger scene that's in your house as a Christmas decoration. That's true. That's what happens here in this passage is that we have Jesus, uh, baby Jesus being born and being placed in a manger. But if you take a step back, what we have here is a passage that highlights what a true king looks like. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that what this passage highlights for us is what a true king looks like? See, just like Roy Jones Jr. and Mike Tyson going at it in the ring, what we have here are two individuals that claim to be king. What we have in this passage are actually two individuals that claim to be the savior of the world. On one hand, we have Jesus, and we have Caesar. And maybe you've never thought about this passage in that light, but that is truly what we have here in this passage, is we have two heavyweights going at it. And when Luke writes to Theophilus, and that name Theophilus is a Greek name, Luke is writing to someone who lives in the Greco-Roman world. And he's saying, Theophilus, I know Caesar is great. I know he claims to be ultimate. I know we refer to him as the Savior of the world. But be reminded, Theophilus, there is one who's greater than Caesar. His name is Jesus. And he truly is the Savior of the world. So this morning, I want us to just take uh, some time together briefly, uh, since we're online, uh, to, to take a look at two observations about Jesus that makes Jesus the true king of the world. The first observation is this. Notice God's decree in this passage. Notice God's decree in this passage which proves that Jesus is the true king of the world. Now, what you see in verse 1 is a decree that comes out from Caesar Augustus. It's a decree that all the the inhabited world at that time, all the known inhabited world at that time, is going to be registered for the purpose of being taxed. It happened throughout history. But the Caesar Augustus here is Octavian Caesar Augustus. And the word Augustus means holy or revered. He was the ruler of all the known world at that time. And he really united all the world with the road systems that he provided and had built. And really in God's providence, what we see is that God used this Caesar, Augustus, in order to prepare the world for the spread of the Christian faith. It would be the very roads that that Caesar Augustus had built that the Apostle Paul himself would have traveled on, uh, getting from town to town to be able to spread the gospel and the other apostles as, as well. And what we have here is Caesar Augustus making a decree that everyone in the known world at that time should go and be registered so that they then could be taxed. Caesar united the world so much that his nickname became Savior of the world because his reign brought peace to the world at that time in a sense. But notice that Caesar's decree is overshadowed by God's decree. How do we know that? Because in this passage, look at what it says. Verse 2, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. 
But what follows next in verses 4 and 5 is the most important aspect of this decree. And so Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. What's interesting is that it says he went up to Bethlehem, but really if you look at the the map geographically, uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem is about 80 miles south. And they would have actually passed, uh, gone by Jerusalem, passed through Jerusalem perhaps even, in order to get to Bethlehem. That would have been a very miserable trip for poor pregnant Mary to make when she is nearly at full term. How does this prove to us that Caesar's decree is overlapped by God's decree for this very simple reason? 700 years prior to the birth of Christ, the prophet Micah prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old from ancient days. It was well known by the Jews in Jesus' time, before his birth, that Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the Messiah. Can you imagine how Mary and Joseph must have felt when they heard the word, the decree of Caesar Augustus, that they must go to their home, the town of their home clan and family and lineage in order to be registered, to be taxed? Can you imagine what Mary felt when she knew she was near full term and now they would be making their way to Bethlehem? Caesar was great. He was a great ruler. But he wasn't the ultimate ruler. The ultimate king is King Jesus. And Jesus proves how much he is in charge and that while he was still in his mother's womb, his sovereign plan was being accomplished. How comforting is that fact today? I saw one of our elders this week. We were discussing things that were happening in the life of the church, some decisions we needed to make. And I presented him with a business opportunity, in my opinion. I was talking to him about the fact that, you, you know, construction workers wear tool belts, right? They wear the tool belts and are able to put their hammer on it and able to put pliers and screwdrivers and uh, their tape measure. And so what I proposed to him was a new belt that we would put together for the, the remainder of 2020 and as we head into 2021. I want to construct a tool belt that you can put around your waist that will simply be able to hold one fire extinguisher after another. Because it feels like for me, all 2020 has been about is putting out one dumpster fire after another. Uh, he said it was a great idea, and he was interested in the business opportunity. And for those of you online that like to be a part of this business opportunity, I offer it to you. But I'm going to copyright, copyright the idea, guaranteed. But as I joke about that, you laugh as well. Because really, this year has been odd at best. And in all of our lives, in our family lives, in... Um, your business, and at church. It feels like we've been having to make one adjustment after another and put out one little fire after another. But rest assured, in the midst of all the chaos, Jesus is still king. And his decrees are still being accomplished, even in the midst 
of the mess. Even in the midst of the chaos. We may not understand exactly what God is doing in the midst of COVID this year. Maybe not even next year. But friends, I want you to rest assured that eventually we will be able to look back on 2020 and see how God was working for Christ's sake, for Christ's glory, even in the midst of COVID. Rest assured, you serve the one who is the King of Kings. He is the Savior of the world. Which brings us to the second and last observation I want us to make about this passage this morning that proves to us that Jesus is the true King of all kings. We notice God's decree in this passage, but now notice Jesus' humility, verses 6 and 7. And it says, as, as um, Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Uh, the second observation I want us to take a look at this morning that proves how great of a king Jesus is, is notice King Jesus' humility in this passage. Notice King Jesus' humility in this passage. In our affirmation of faith this morning, we, we affirmed our faith by asking about Christ's humiliation. And it's said in the shorter catechism that Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born. And that in a low condition, made under the law and under the miseries of this life. Part of Jesus' humiliation is that as the second person of the Trinity, as part of the Godhead... He humbled himself and took on the creation he created with the power of his spoken word. Think about that. We, we admire those uh, episodes of Undercover Boss when the, the leader of an organization or a company takes on the work clothes of those whom he employs and, or she employs and works among them for a week or two or a month to be able to see exactly what they experience. In a far greater way, our Lord Jesus, our King Jesus, took on himself his creation. And that was humiliating to him. Being born in the likeness of men and that in a low condition. Jesus could have said to God the Father, okay, I'm willing to go down and I'm willing to represent them and I'm willing to save them, but I expect to get what I deserve. I should go be a part of Caesar Augustus's household. I should live in royalty and luxury and ease. But that isn't how Jesus came. He came in humility. In such humility that he is born to about a 13, 14 year old Jewish girl who's engaged to a carpenter. And when Jesus is presented at the temple at eight days old, they offer to God the most humble sacrifice they possibly can. A couple pigeons, a couple birds. Why? Because they couldn't even afford a lamb. They couldn't afford a high-priced sacrifice. But notice Jesus' humility as well in where he's born. It says that Jesus comes as a firstborn son, reiterating the fact that Mary was a virgin, that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He, uh, this, the Gospels will go on later to describe in several passages uh, the names of Jesus' brothers and sisters 
after he was born. But the scriptures are clear that Jesus was the firstborn. It says that Mary, with her maternal care, wraps him in swaddling cloths to provide stability to his back, to help him as he grows, to, to warm him as well. And she lays him in a manger, which literally means a feeding trough. Why? Because there was no place for them in the end. I found it interesting this week that some scholars suggest that perhaps not only were Joseph and Mary not allowed to stay in the end because they were poor, but because they were being shunned. That perhaps what maybe the innkeeper even knew that here was a couple that had been engaged and it is obvious that she's far further along in this pregnancy than she should be, right? And other scholars suggested one of the main reasons why Joseph took Mary with him to Bethlehem, although she would not have been required to go there perhaps, although there's debate about that, is that he did not want her to face the shame and the humiliation that if she gave birth while he was away in Bethlehem. But notice Jesus' humility. He's born in a stable, or some suggest even a cave, and he's placed in a feeding trough. Why is that important regarding Jesus' greatness as king? Those that are truly great don't need to go around telling everyone how great they are, do they? Rather, the greatest of the greats, the best of the best, prove it by who they are and what they do. Caesar Augustus was trying to make a great name for himself by issuing this decree. Having everyone be registered. Having monuments built in his name. But Jesus comes to prove how great he is by allowing himself to be born in the lowest conditions so that he can allow himself to be crucified on our behalf. J.C. Ryle says this, referring to Jesus, to become the very poorest of mankind and as lowly as the lowliest, this is a love which passes all understanding. Never let us forget that through this humiliation, Jesus has bought for us a title to glory. And through his poverty, we are made rich. Ironically, years later, some 300 years later, Constantine the Great in about 330 A.D. would discover the place that it was believed that Jesus was born and he would have a beautiful church built there over top of uh, the manger. For those of you that have ever been uh, to Jerusalem or Bethlehem or the Holy Land, what you'll see is that the place they believe Jesus was actually born was a cave. And so this church was actually built above this cave. And so uh, Mary would have given birth to, to baby Jesus and she would have placed him in a feeding trough that would have been in this somewhat of a cubbyhole type cave. But notice, Jesus didn't have that built for himself. It will be 300 years later that a ruler would have it built. It reminds me of a, a gentleman that I, I knew. He's actually related to many people in our denomination. Uh, we were looking to, to start a new church when I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, and this gentleman... Uh, We'll call him Knox. Knox had been a part of a very successful church that had uh, revitalized and grown to the point where it was really pretty much a mega church that had planted other daughter churches around the Charlotte area. 
And we, we gathered into this, this person's home to discuss what we would need to do in order to start a new church uh, in a new part of, of the city that perhaps needed someone to reach out to them. Knox had been very successful in his own business. He had been very successful in the life of the church as an elder. Uh, he had been successful in our denomination. And I remember as we sat there in that living room, I had the privilege of sitting uh, basically to uh, Knox's left shoulder, just barely behind him. And as we sat there, I noticed that Knox had a legal pad that he had, he had opened up. He had a, had a, a cover that, that covered the legal pad, but as he opened up, uh, that cover of the legal pad, he had um, outlined on the legal pad what all we needed to do to get organized as a church in order to launch our first worship service. And I admired his legal pad as I was able to kind of spy an eye on his legal pad while the other conversations occurred in the room about what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And I remember having kind of the prize seat to the whole conversation because I knew that Knox already had all the answers. Knox had already planned the meeting. Knox had already uh, asked the questions. He had already answered all the questions that needed to be answered. He had all the answers. And I remember just grinning as I thought, I can't wait for Knox to speak. And just as Knox was ready to raise, he began to raise his finger and raise his hand. Someone interjected and said, before we start debating what we should and shouldn't do, let's just pray. And at that moment, I saw Knox click his ink pen, put it back into his pocket, and he closed his legal pad. That happened probably 14, 15 years ago, and I still see it in my mind's eyes clearly today as if it happened yesterday. Why did that make such an impact on me? Because in that moment, I saw Knox's humility. Knox had the answers. He knew the right questions to ask. He knew the answers. And honestly, he knew better than those that would become leadership in that church. But Knox proved himself to be the greatest leader in that room that night with his humility. That he closed his notepad and we simply prayed. Friends, our Lord Jesus has proven himself to be the greatest leader of all leaders, to be the greatest king of all kings. Not only through his sovereignty, but through his humility. And I think in our world today, we misunderstand humility as weakness. We see meekness as weakness. And we need to understand that our Lord Jesus has the perfect balance of that perfect, being perfectly in control and perfectly humble. That's precisely what makes him the king of all kings. That he humbled himself took on his creation, lived where we live, has excelled in all the ways we failed. He died in our place, and then he resurrected from the dead. The fact that Jesus was willing to be crucified